0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to 4C. My name is Ben. I'm so glad that you're here. A special welcome to our guests that are with us today. After service, I'd love to meet you. My wife and I, Jill, will be standing right outside these double doors into the lobby, right near an area called Guest Central. We'd love to meet you. If you brought a guest with you today, bring them by. Let me say hello to them. I don't get a chance to make it through the audience as much as I'd like to, so after service is a great time to do that. If you are our guest, you may not know what I'm getting ready to say and how important it is, but yesterday was the uh, fundraiser for one of the ministries that we support as a church. Um, We support the Hamilton Mission is called New Life Mission. It's one of our strategic partners. It's where we serve our neighbors and friends who are hungry in our community. Our church gives a lot of money and a lot of food to this organization every month. Teams from our church go over and serve. And yesterday, they had their golf outing, and Four Corners team took first place. Eight under par, 64, holes on one, uh, hole, hole in one on 17 and 18, which was really, actually, no, it got rained out. Um, <laughs> that's the story I was hoping to tell. Uh, it got rained out, so we'll tell you what's going on there next time, and if you're interested at all, you can use your Connect card and just say, hey, I'd like to know about that golf outing. The uh, the proceeds really do go help to help feed our neighbors in here, but the other thing I want to tell you before we get rolling here today is uh, I have some wonderful news to share with you. Um, I get the privilege of being the pastor of what I think is uh, the, the, the finest and, and kindest and nicest, one of the best churches in all of Cincinnati. We're very fortunate in our area. We have a lot of great churches. I think we're one of them, and uh, one of the things that makes this church so great great as you guys. The other thing is, is I get to work with an incredible team of people. And so over the last few months, we've been working through some staffing stuff, looking towards the new ministry year. And around here, a ministry year starts for us in September on our anniversary. Next week will be our anniversary. We'll be 14 years old. And so in preparation for the new ministry year, we're having a lot of conversations about who's going to do what around here over the next year. And uh, the good news I'm going to share with you here is, is that I get to announce to you that we have a new student pastor which is really, really, really incredible. And uh, his name will be familiar to many of you. Um, Pastor Joseph Antley is now the new student pastor at Four Corners. He's also going to retain the title associate pastor. But if you have a student in high school. Joseph will be the primary, along with his wife, Whitney, on some occasions. They have beautiful twin girls. They will be the primary leaders of that ministry. and He's providing leadership not only for high school, but for middle school. But in middle school, Derek Kugler is our lead. His wife, Rachel, gives obviously a strong assist there as well. And so this is one more way that our church is strategically aligning resources. Our primary resource around here is not money, It's not just goodwill. It's the people who make the ministries happen around here. Uh, That's our volunteers and staff. They are the primary way that we're able to leverage and make difference. And I'm really, really excited to tell you about that news. So if you are a parent of a high schooler, um, you have been invited immediately after this service and then again after second service to a meeting in our student area. If you're a guest, let me tell you where the student area is. You just walk out these doors, go through the lobby, and keep walking straight. There's a pair of double doors that are lined with glass on the middle, and you get to walk right through those doors, and you can find out what's going on in our student ministries uh, this fall. All right? So, next week, we're 14 years old as a church. Um, There are some people in this room right now. You've actually been involved in this church for just at 15 years, because about a year before we started, Um, publicly holding services. We were meeting behind the scenes, talking and planning and praying about what God would do in this place. And I got to see one of the biggest mistakes I ever made as uh, as a pastor so we had spent a year, year and a half planning and thinking about what we wanted to do. We wanted to create a church where it would not be strange to invite our friends to, where they could come and hear the claims of Jesus. The Bible, we talked about in normal, everyday English so that it could be understandable. It could actually be heard. And when it was heard, maybe it would grow faith and people would believe in Jesus. And those that were Christians would grow up in Jesus. That's what we were trying to do. And so we... Leveraged all of our resources, we pooled a bunch of money, we made commitments, and we had our very first Sunday 14 years ago next week. We were meeting at what was then called the Rave Theater, now it's AMC at Union Center, about a mile and a half from my house, so basically right in my backyard. And we had planned everything to the last detail. I had called... Everybody I'm related to, and I got people from like six different states that I have shared DNA with to come be with us on that first Sunday, and on that first Sunday, there literally was not an open seat in the house. I was blown away. I thought, wow, this is really, really cool, really, really cool. We filled up an entire theater with adults. We filled up a couple other theaters with kids, and uh, the truth is, sincerely, about half of them were related to me, but I didn't care. They were there. And uh, as far as I was concerned, this was, is this was how awesome it was going to be. And um, so we're going through the service, and uh, the worship team, in, they rocked and rolled. I'm waiting with bated breath to, to give the message. I give a message. On that day, people raised their hands. They were going to receive Jesus as their Savior. It was awesome. And the first service came, and it went. And then I had this amazing, terrifying thought. Sunday's coming around again in seven days. So it took a year and a half to plan this one. I've got six days to plan the next one. But here was the mistake. We didn't collect a single bit of data about anybody. I didn't have a way to communicate, phone call, email, nothing. I didn't have any way to communicate with them. So we created a little device I want to tell you about. This is actually part of our message. All right, it may not sound like it, but you're, you're going to see the connection in a second. We created a little device over the next few months called a connect card just to help people connect because we thought, man, it would be really a shame to like somebody comes to service, they're engaged, whatever, and we have no way of letting them know what's next. Like they can show up again. Sure, we'll be here next week and we will. We'll be here next week at the same time. But what if we could send them a little encouragement through the week if they wanted it, if they requested it? What if they wanted information and we could handle some of that through email? Well, we had no way of doing it. So we created a connect card and It sounds like it's just a little sheet of paper or whatever, but really for us, this is a spiritual investment tool. I want you to think about something, all right, because we're going to talk about spiritual investment here today. I want you to think about something. When somebody who's a guest in our church, there's some in the room right now, if they take a connect card like this and they on the back of it write down their prayer requests, like what's going on in their life, or let's say you're not a guest. Let's say this is like your home church, and you take time to write down a prayer concern, a prayer request on the back. Something's going on in your life. You want the Lord to be a part of it. You're asking for people to pray with you. I want you to think for just a second, guys. How much trust, how much goodwill, how much willingness to connect is represented in that simple act of taking the pen we provide, and you're welcome to take that home with you. And writing out what's on your heart, and then at the end of the service, dropping this in a bucket. How much goodwill is represented in that? How much of a willingness to connect? And so every week, one of the most important things we do as a staff is the pastoral team gathers, and we pray over every single prayer request turned in on a Sunday. And then those that come in online as well, you can email prayer at Four Corners, that comes in. But that turns a piece of paper and a pen from some mechanical thing sitting on a seat, to a spiritual investment. We get to spiritually invest in the lives of those people who pray, or who have a prayer concern. We get to pray with them. We get to sow seeds of spiritual investment. And you, it may surprise you how many times the things we're praying about, we see God show up in those situations. We've seen him show up in physical ways, like with healings. We've seen him show up in relational ways, financial ways. We've seen people be very honest about what's going on in their hearts. And the the truth that is revealed in their prayer request, the vulnerability there, it gets really close to what Jesus said in the Gospels, that the truth will set you free. And when people start telling the truth about where they are, it opens the door for God to change from where they are to where they need to go. It's a spiritual investment tool. One more. Imagine the trust and the willingness to connect represented when a first-time or a second-time guest checks the box in the upper right-hand corner on the front page. And they say, hey, yeah, I'm willing to be identified as a guest today. They know that we're not going to call them out. So like in the church I grew up in, the twice a year we had guests on Christmas and Easter, here's how we used to do it. This is just painful for me to tell. I'm sorry. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I didn't invite people to my church when I was growing up. There's two reasons. One, because of what I'm getting ready to tell you. The other one is the piano player, she had a good heart. That's about as much as I can say about her. She had a good heart, but she played the piano like she had mittens on. I mean, it, it, honestly, it, it was bad, friends. Like, we have really great music here. We did our best. We made what the Bible says a joyful noise unto the Lord <laughs> at my church. That's what we did. So it's like, I just wasn't going to invite people. But imagine if a first-time guest come here, and they check first-time guests. Imagine the willingness. To, and what becomes a simp, what is a simple check mark becomes a spiritual investment in, in a, an ability to connect to an environment where they can grow spiritually. And then we send them a little free Chick-fil-A in the mail and all that. But one of the most powerful ways that we use this little tool that we didn't have the first week, it was a major missed opportunity. Did I tell you the second missed opportunity on the first Sunday? We had planned it to the nth degree, except when it came time to collect the offering, we didn't have any offering buckets. We hadn't thought about that at all. So sincerely, the reason we still pass around buckets today We had somebody jump over the counter at the movie theater, grab a bunch of popcorn buckets, and go, "There's our offering." And from that point on, it stuck. That's why we pass around popcorn buckets. They just don't say popcorn on them anymore. But imagine, imagine what happens when somebody on our Connect card at the end of a message, like today, there's options A, B, C, D, and E, and they check the box. They check next step A. I'm ready to make Jesus my Savior and Lord. Or maybe they communicate they want to get baptized, or any of the other three that we're going to offer today and they sat in a service, they heard a message from the Word of God, they've connected, and now they don't want to just be stirred. See, there's the problem with a lot of church engagement. You go and you get stirred, but stirring is not what God wants to do. The stirring that happens in a person's heart, in their mind, in their emotions, in their spirit, in a church service, the stirring is not the end. The stirring is meant to be the beginning or the next step in a journey. And so what we do is we give people a chance to align some behavior so they don't come and just get stirred. They come and they can actually move forward in their journey with Christ. It becomes a spiritual investment that they make when they check that box. Our church then uses some volunteers and some staff hours to send them a gentle reminder in the email. Here's what you said you wanted to do. Now, the reason I'm walking you through this Connect card is because next week there's going to be a bunch of guests with us And we're going to ask everybody in the room to pull out their Connect card and give us at least their name and email address. And if they're a guest, they're going to be asked to give us their home address so we can send them that free Chick-fil-A in the mail. It's not food in the mail. It's a coupon for free Chick-fil-A because that would get really disgusting to send Chick-fil-A through the mail. So we send coupons for free Chick-fil-A. And so why would we do that? Because We don't want them to just come on one day, we want them to be able to connect with an environment that's gonna change their life. We want them to make a spiritual investment repeatedly for their own good. It's not that we want anything from them. We don't want anything from our guests. The truth is, in very practical way, I don't want anything from you. I want something for our guests. I want something for you. I want you to grow. I want you to be connected in community with people. I want you to discover part of your purpose. I want you to serve God in community and in the local church and get the joy that comes into you when that happens. Every single person who received Christ also received his church. Now, that's good and bad because the church can be a messed up place. It's full of imperfect people. Ours is at least. Maybe another one isn't, but at least ours is. And so you get Jesus who's perfect, you get the church on earth at least that's not perfect yet will be made perfect in heaven. That's why there aren't going to be any tears in heaven because everybody you're dealing with now that makes you cry, they're all going to be perfect over there which is awesome. But don't forget you're also going to get perfected which means we'll all be able to tolerate you better too. So heaven's going to be awesome, you're going to be perfected, I'm going to be perfected, we're all going to get along better. That's what heaven's for. But here and now what we get is we get Jesus and his church, this incredibly broken but beautiful community of people, a spiritual investment. And today, for the next few minutes, I'm gonna unpack for you how God works through spiritual investment. I wanna take you to some Bible verses. Most of them are contained for you right here on your message notes. You got it when you came in. It looks a little bit different. If you're a regular attender around here, this is a slightly different format, half page message notes, which means I'm gonna go shorter. And if you believe that, I've got some land to say. Yeah, anyway, uh, on, the, on the other side, there's some information you may want to read. This is yours to take home, all right? Um, I, I want to walk you through some, some sermon notes. But first, uh, years ago, I was in Pigeon Forge and, and then Gatlinburg, Tennessee. How many of you guys have been there? Just show your hands over. Yeah, it's a great place. One of my favorite places to go there is to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. And it used to be, in fact, it may still be, that right outside the door, the reason why I wanted to go in there, one day, I was first time in, in Gatlinburg, I'm walking by, and then I see like this wooden barrel on the ground full of water. And up in the air, not connected to anything, is a faucet. And between this faucet up in the air and the wooden barrel, it's just a stream of massive amounts of water. And I remember as a kid walking by there going, How do you do that? Where is that water coming from? I couldn't believe it. Here's this faucet up in the air, not connected to anything, and water's coming. How many of you remember seeing it? Anybody? You know what? It's amazing when you see it. Imagine, here I am, you know, 10, 11 years old. It's the first time I see it, and I just couldn't figure out, and I'm going to tell you how they did it. Inside the water coming down, there was a pipe that you couldn't see, and water was going up. It's tricky, but that's how. That's how. But if when you first see it, you're like, how do they do this? Today, we're going to talk about how. God shows up and blesses spiritual investment. How does he do it? I'm going to give you four big ways that he does it. But before we do that, you got to get in mind a couple things. Bless you. you got to get in mind a couple things. It's horrible, isn't it, to get called out like that? Um, (laughs) About four weeks into the church, about four weeks in, somebody's cell phone kept going off. And about the third time, I was just like, would you please get that? And I thought, golly, that sounds so mean. I didn't mean it that way, but I couldn't even think. So anyway... um, yeah, there's a lot of great stories over 14 years. Did I tell you about the time I stood on stage and my zipper was down? <laughs> In this building. So I can't even claim I was young. And I'm looking at my, this is my confidence screen up here. It has my notes on it right there. Now, I don't want you to see it because it tells me when I'm over time. And of course, I ignore it. So um, there's my, con- and right at the bottom of the screen, the tech guys had written, <laughs> I'm not kidding here, no joke, your fly is down. This is not a joke. <laughs> I, and, and it wasn't just down, friends. This is one of those horribly embarrassing flared open ones. It was horrible. Some of you were here. Anybody here in the room when that happened? Do you remember? Yes. Exactly. It was horrible. So I just had to turn around, do my business, turn back around and said, yes, I just zipped up my pants. That's exactly what it so was A lot of things happen. But, but I want to get, get you in your mind a couple of uh, 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 passages. So like Galatians chapter 6, not on your message notes. You might just want to scribble it down. It says this, it says, do not be deceived, God will not be mocked, a person, a man or woman will reap what he sows. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap to the spirit. If you sow to the flesh or corruption, you'll reap to corruption. So the, there's, there's a way to sow into the ground, so it's, a, it's an agricultural metaphor. There's a way to sow seed that is spiritual, and there's a way to sow seed that isn't spiritual, but don't be deceived. That's the way life works largely like the normal way life works, whatever you sow into. Some people in other religions kind of call this karma. It's not quite what we mean by karma biblically, but it's at least a beginning point to understand it. What you invest in over time is what you're going to get out. That's true with money, but it's true spiritually as well. It really is. It's a very real thing. And so in some of your lives right now, you're currently today reaping spiritually the seeds you sowed as early as 25, 30 years ago. Some of you are reaping today seeds that you began to sow even as late as last week. In some way, like I'm not stretching the truth here, today, like literally at this moment, you're sowing the seed that you sowed in the ground. You're, you're reaping the seed that you sowed in the ground this morning in a decision to get out of bed and come to church. That's the way it works. You can sow seed in your own life. You can also sow seed spiritually into the lives of other people. Now, this is where every parent in the room and grandparent and real honest to God friends who love other people should lean in a little bit. Because you can sow seeds, parents, of spiritual investment into the lives of your kids that over time will make a difference in their life. You can sow seed in the life of your spouse that over time will make a difference. You can sow seed in the life of your friends, the people you go to school with, the people you work with, that over time do not be deceived, God will not be mocked, a person will reap what they sow. And this whole metaphor of sowing and reaping is so integrated into the Bible. Now, a lot of churches use these passages almost in in one exclusive way. They want to talk about people giving financial money to the church To some degree, that connects, but really, most of the seed and the sowing stuff, is just a life principle. So it doesn't matter what category we're talking about. It's true relationally. If you sow seeds into the relationship of investment, over time, the relationship gets better. Healthy seed, time, energy, listening, over time, the relationship gets better. If you sow seeds financially, over time, it does return. So it's true broadly applicably, not just in the money category, but today we're looking at the spiritual side of things, this agricultural metaphor of what you sow into over time, God will use to make a difference. Some of you have been around church long enough, you've heard some of the parables that Jesus told. Many of them had to had to do with this agricultural metaphor. He picked up on the theme of sowing and reaping. One of the most famous ones is he tells the story of a sower, and he sows seed, he scatters it on the ground, and it falls in four different categories. We've talked about that here a few times. You may not know that in ancient Israel, in the Old Testament, and again in the New Testament, there was a common practice among the the farmers in the area, that they would plant, they would watch the plants grow, they would harvest the plants, the season would come and go, they'd do it again, but every once in a while there would be a field that had been planted repeatedly over the years, but at about every seven years they decide to let this portion of their field lay what's called fallow, untouched, unused. It was a way of letting the ground kind of replenish itself. It was learned over time that if you just keep sowing and just keep reaping, you can actually create an environment where the ground doesn't give as much fruitfulness. So as a way to kind of handle that is that there would be this fallow, untouched ground for an entire season. Now, the next season would come around, and that ground had grown in it weed, natural you know, plant life, and maybe some residual of the seed or whatever, but it was largely untouched, and the ground had a chance. For, so when you went back to do it again after the fallow year, now it was almost twice as much work, But the twice as much work you did produced greater harvest at the end of the season. And that's the reality going on in Hosea, the beginning verse in your message now. It's Hosea chapter 10. Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's talking to Israel about a spiritual reality going on in their life, one that I think might be going on for a lot of us. I think it might be going on in our church. It might be going on in your life. And so we're going to look at this metaphor of sowing and reaping and specifically what Hosea had to say about the fallow or the untouched, unplowed ground. Here's what the prophet Hosea says to ancient Israel that I think God might want to speak to us today. Here's what it says, sow righteousness for yourselves. So sow good work, righteousness. The word righteousness means right way of thinking, right way of doing, right way of talking. Ultimately, God's righteousness is applied to us through Jesus. But after that happens, there are things we can do as followers of Jesus that are righteous, right? So sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love if you do that. And then he says, and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Sow seed, do it. When you do it, you're going to get the benefit. You're going to reap the stuff, the love, the righteousness, but then pay attention to the unplowed ground, the fallow ground. Pay attention there. So we've been going 14 years. We've done a lot of stuff. Incredible what God's been able to do here. So here's a couple stats. I'm a numbers guy. A lot of you know I was an accountant. I can't help it, I think, in terms of, of numbers. And um, uh, so a couple, couple of numbers. Every year, for 14 years it will be, um, every year, the minimum number is over 100 adults have committed their lives to Christ in this church. We would say it simply they took next step A. So if you add that up, we're well over 1,000 adults. Some of you in this room, you actually gave your life to Jesus right here. E- every year, there's over like 25,000 next bold steps taken where people have said, I don't want to just be stirred. I want to I actually take a step in my journey. I don't want to just think about it. I don't want my emotions touched. I actually want to grow spiritually. We've given away over a quarter million dollars given away, just right out our doors, to ministries that really can't give back to us anything more than just the blessing of being a part of what they're doing. The biggest one that's gotten the most money from us is our orphanage and our church in India that we built over the last eight years, the one where we're currently building a boy's home. We made spiritual investments. Those are numbers, but what you may not know is literally in the room around you, there are people whose marriages have been saved, whose parenting has changed tone, whose sense of purpose in life has shifted because of the work God has done here. Seeds were sown and it made a difference. Now, as a pastor, as a leader, one of the things I'm always asking, it's the same question I asked when I looked at that little fountain at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum with a little faucet in the air and the water coming out. And I was, how does that happen? How does God work like mechanically, when you sow seed, how do you see the return? Not like I, I just, I've always been one of those inquisitive people who want to know. Let me give you four ways God works. You ready for this? This will help you. I think this will encourage some of you. Uh, number one, God works through the hand of man. God works through the hand of man. You can look at the history of the nation of Israel, primarily in our Old Testament, and see how God Works with humanity. In fact, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is there to teach us about God, His character. It's for training in our righteousness. There's that same word again. It's for our building up. It's even for our correction. So we can look at these Old Testament stories and see some really cool stuff about the way God has worked. And it tells us about God's character. It builds trust for us that God is always good. Number one, God works in your message notes through the hand of man. There was a time in Israel's history where things were really rough in their homeland and God had designed that he would save his people through the hand of a man. There was a guy by the name of Joseph. And Joseph had a really rough experience with his very broken family. So if like if you want to have a biblical family, like if you say to your spouse, I want to have a biblical marriage, you've got to be careful because most of the marriages in the Bible aren't all that awesome. Most of the families in the Bible have some junk in them. So this is the primary family in the Bible. This is Abraham's grandchild and great-grandchildren. And so Joseph, the great-grandchild of Abraham, is sold into slavery by his brothers. God blesses his life because of his faithfulness. He does what is right, and God raises him up. And Joseph finds himself taking care of basically all of Egypt. Nobody in the land has corn, but Joseph is holding the key to silo after silo after silo of corn and grain in the land of Egypt in his position as the number two of Egypt. His brothers sold him into slavery to hurt him because they were jealous, but God has raised him up. This is the backdrop. And look at what our Bible says in Genesis chapter 45. And then Joseph said to his brothers, so now famine in the land of Israel Plenty in Egypt because of Joseph's leadership, his wisdom, and his insight from God. So the brothers who sold him into slavery are now in Egypt begging for food. And Joseph gives them some, but this is the moment where he reveals who he really is. Then Joseph said to his brothers, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. I will provide for you there. In this particular instance, it was through the hand of Pharaoh providing for Joseph, through the hand of Joseph providing for his Brothers, that the family receives the blessing of God in their life. God will work through the hands of people in your life. He will. One of the mechanical ways, one of the hows of how God works is he works through the hands of other people. All my life, my heroes have been preachers. I know that sounds weird to you. For other kids, all my friends, they had sports heroes. They had, you know, astronaut heroes. They knew the names of famous people. I watched Pastors. I'm weird, all right? And so I love it. I remember one time this pastor comes to my church, little country church, about 60 people. And uh, that was on Easter. We had around 48 normally. But, um, you know, pastors always give their, if you ask me how big we are, I'm gonna tell you how big we are on Easter. That's how that's gonna work, all right? So about 60 people on Easter. And this pastor comes to our church and he tells the story, I've never forgotten it. The story is of a little lady who lives in a rundown house. She's a widow and her husband has passed and evidently they didn't have a lot of stuff. And so every morning, it was her custom, she would pray. Her windows would be open, she didn't have air conditioner, this was decades and decades ago, and she'd pray, and she'd pray to God loud and bold. And every morning, she'd get up, she'd thank God for life, she'd thank God for what she had, and she didn't have much, and she'd pray loud, and her neighbors could hear her talking to God, and it just so happened that right next door to her moved a guy who didn't believe in the Lord at all, he was an atheist. And every morning, he'd hear this widowed woman, this faithful saint of God, pray to the Lord, thanking God for what she had and for the opportunity to live and just praising God out loud in the privacy of her home but the sound is carrying out whatever needs were going on in her life she'd just take them to the Lord in prayer it just so happened that it came time in her life where things were really hard she didn't have much and she began to pray one morning and ask God to provide for her some food oh God you've said that you would always provide and God I don't have the, what I need and I'm asking you Father to supernaturally, you know, intervene in my life and she's just praying to God, touching heaven the best way she knows how and windows open this atheist guy here and he is so frustrated by this woman. So he decided he's going to prove to her that there was no God. So he goes to the grocery store, buys several bags of groceries goes up to her front porch, sets them down, knocks on the door and says, she opens the door, she says, hello, they know each other, they're neighbors, and he says, hey, I've heard you praying and I'm so tired of your prayers. You're praying to this God that doesn't exist. Here's your groceries and I bought them for you so that you would know that God doesn't exist and if you want some help, you're gonna have to look at some flesh and blood. And she just closed her eyes and raised her hands to heaven and said, Lord, thank you for provision. I thank you for these groceries you provided even if you had to use the devil to get them to me. (laughs) And I hear it, it's a silly story. I don't even know if it's true. There are preacher stories that kind of hint at truth sometimes. Sorry, I try not to tell a lot of them. But if, if it's true at all, if not true in reality, it's true in principle that God will use people in your life to bless you. In my spiritual life, it was a youth pastor who looked at me and said, I see something in you. I want you to teach this Sunday school class. And that's how it began for me. I was about 15 years old. It was through his hand that spiritual blessing and investment happened. It's pretty impressive when God uses people in your life. When Jill and I were first starting out in ministry and I was uh, in seminary, which is the school that pastors go to, we didn't have a lot of money. My first real job, I got uh, provided a house and they paid for my school and that was it. And that's incredible. That's a blessing. Um, so I'm not complaining. But there wasn't a lot left, and Jill was on the front end of her career, not making a lot of money, and we, you know, had just got done with school, so we didn't have years behind it, and we weren't managing money well at all. The money we did have, and so it was um, Thanksgiving. It was our first Thanksgiving away from our families. On a Wednesday night, I'm walking out of church. We used to have a Wednesday night service. we do Bible classes and stuff. And this couple in the church, grabbed me and said, hey, before you go home, and now home for me was right across the parking lot at the back of the church. I lived in a church-owned building house right on the back of the property. Before you go home, I stop by my car. So I did what I needed to do to finish up on staff and walk out, and he's standing there with his wife, and he opens up his trunk, and literally there's an entire Thanksgiving meal there for us. Huge, like massive turkey, all the stuff that goes with it, They had no way of knowing, but Jill and I had decided that for our first Thanksgiving, we didn't have enough money to buy all that stuff, so we were just going to eat a normal meal. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good decision. That's a good financial decision. But through the hand of these people, God blessed us abundantly on that day. And I'd never cooked, but I cooked the biggest, most awesome Thanksgiving meal, one of the most tasty things I've ever put in my mouth. And I was just so impressed with how God had blessed my family. It was on that day, by the way, that we found out that Jill was pregnant with our first child. It was through the hand of people that blessing came to us. God will use people to bless you. God used Joseph to bless Israel. That's the way it happens. Let me give you another way, another how. Number two, God will use his own hand, the hand of God. And sometimes you'll be able to connect it through people. And I'll tell you, that's often the way God works spiritually is you'll invest in someone, someone will invest in you. But sometimes there's like a supernatural investment that happens. When the nation of Israel was growing up, The Bible says there became a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. (laughs) He didn't know all the stuff Joseph had done. This is now the story of Moses. And by the time Moses comes on board, the children of Israel are no longer guests in Egypt, they're slaves. And there's a Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph. So what happens is, is Moses is raised up by God as a deliverer. And God uses Moses to take the children of Israel into the wilderness and lead them to the promised land back home from where they had camped out in Egypt because of Joseph. And in the wilderness, man, it's a hard place to be. But Israel's doing the thing. They're trying to obey God. They're getting it wrong. They're getting it right. The leaders are frustrated. The people are frustrated. They're doing well. They're not doing well. It's just normal life. But they come up against a very practical obstacle. There's just no food in the wilderness. So God does something by his miraculous hand. It's one of the ways God does his work, sometimes through people, through the hand of man, sometimes by his own divine hand that you cannot deny. And in Exodus chapter 16, we get... Part of the story where God began to rain, rain down manna from heaven on the ground, pieces of heavenly bread for people to eat to feed them. They didn't make the bread. It was by God's own provision. In fact, the word manna literally means, just case, it literally means, what is this? They had never seen it before. It, the word manna translated means, what is this? But what it was was a sweet, savory piece of bread and through divine interaction, the Bible tells us that God provided for them. So in Exodus chapter 16, the story of the journey from Egypt to the promised land, here's what the Bible says. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is this? And that stuck. From then on, it was called manna. What is this? Because they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So sometimes bread comes from the hand of people. Blessing comes from people. Sometimes it comes from the hand of the Lord. It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is about two quarts, for each person you have in your tent. So everybody gets what they need. (laughs) This is a little lesson I've learned from the Lord. When it comes to God providing, how he provides, he provides what you need. He doesn't always provide all you want. Sometimes he does. But he provides your needs. Sometimes people don't understand that God is working in their life because they've confused wants and needs and all their wants aren't met and so now they're a little frustrated spiritually but God's hand has repeatedly revealed to us in scripture that he'll provide the needs of his people he'll do that sometimes he'll use people to do it Sometimes he'll do it miraculously. In Israel's case right here and now, one interesting dynamic is, is that the source, even when God was providing through the hand of Joseph, really wasn't Joseph. It was God behind the scenes orchestrating. And sometimes people are unable to connect the dots back to God. It just looks like maybe Joseph. And it could be that you have people in your life who are blessing, could be an employer or whatever. I just want to remind you that even behind all of that, no matter how mechanically it may have looked to you, if you're a child of God, it's God who ordains the steps of people. It's really God who's making things happen. Sometimes he uses people. Sometimes he miraculously miraculously steps down. But what's interesting in Israel's history is, is he changes the way he provides. And Israel would get used to one way, and the guy would say, I just want to remind you, your real dependency is not on Pharaoh or on Joseph. Your real dependency is upon me, and I will provide for you. This is an important lesson to think about when we want to think about how does God provide? Well, he does provide through a variety of ways, but when he provides, we have to remember that he is the one providing. So let me let me be clear to you. Your employer may write your check. But God is the one providing for you. You may have somebody in your life who emotionally fills your tank, but at the end of the day, it's the love of God being displayed, sometimes even by those who don't yet know Jesus. That's really the thing that satisfies the soul. God miraculously shows up. Interestingly, sometimes I'll preach a message, and I'll stand out there and say hi to folks, and I honestly will think, all right, if I was rating it today, I'd give it a three, like on a 45 scale. He's going to say 10, but like I'm going as low as I know how to go, right? And I'll get to three. And somebody will walk up and say, Pastor, the Lord used your words today to touch my life. And I'm like, it's a miracle because God wasn't anywhere up here. He must have been all the way out there. That's the kind of the way I feel. Like there's no spirit of God anywhere in here, but somehow God, you know what he's reminding me of? I might be working as hard as I know how to work, but it ain't me that does it. And anytime God takes what happens in this church and makes it grow in the heart of a person. It isn't the person investing the seed that makes it grow. It's God who gives the increase. One of the scariest passages in the Bible, one of the most sobering ones to me, is the one where the Bible says that the Lord buried Moses' body. Moses passed away. The Lord buried his body. Nobody knows where it is. It's supposed so that nobody would set up Moses as a shrine or worship his body, because that was kind of the thing they used to do back then. So the Lord buries his body. So that's horrible. So the leader is gone. You know in the next couple of verses say? And God raised up Joshua, son of Nun." <laughs> For every leader that's ever worked in a church, there'll be a day I'm not here. It, that'll happen. I hope it's a while, right? But it's going to happen. And what I have to remember is when that happens, it wasn't my work anyway. It's the Lord that does the work. I don't I try to be faithful. I try to plant seed. Even if I'm successful, it's the Lord that does it. It's the hand of man, but it's also the hand of God that works. And when we get to see the hand of God, what God is reminding us is it's not the people, it's Him. And this is pretty unpopular, but the truth is is God's not an American. And what I mean by that is it's not that He doesn't like America. I think He loves America. But He's not an American. He doesn't value independence the way that we do. In fact, the Holy Spirit over and over again wants to direct disciples to be dependent on God. Not independent, but dependent. So sometimes God will put you in a situation where the hand of man doesn't bless, and you have to rely on the hand of God. That might be true in the life of your son or daughter. Like, you've done what you can, and the, the seeds haven't grown yet. Like, you've planted and planted and watered and watered and did all you could This is an opportunity for you to realize and for me to be reminded that it's the hand of God that does the work in people's lives. When Paul was writing to the letter at Philippi, the Christians at the church that we now, the letter we call Philippians, he reminded them in Philippians 4, he reminded them that really what's going on is that God is giving incredible increase because of the seeds they had sown. You sowed the seed, but God gave the increase the hand of God to work. Here's the third way that God actually does work. And it kind of helps us understand mechanically how it happens. Sometimes God will work through your own hand, through your own hand. So the children of Israel for almost 40 years have been getting the manna. They're loving it. They got the system figured out. They didn't even have to think about it anymore. It's just provided for them. But in Joshua chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, look at what happens there on your message notes. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. So at this point, they're no longer in the wilderness. They're in the promised land. Passover has occurred. And on the day after Passover, they're not eating the manna. They actually ate some of the fruitfulness of the property that God had brought them to. So mechanically, that's what's just happened. They ate unleavened bread and roasted grain. And here's what the Bible says. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any more manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. It was at that moment they had to start planting. Now up until that point, they had been in Egypt. And the ground there was difficult for them. Uh, The water was not plentiful. But God had put put them in a place where their fruitfulness of their planting of seed would go much better. In Egypt, for example, the Bible actually tells us in Egypt that they used to have to use what's called a foot pump. The water was so sourced, there would be the Nile River, which was low. Their planting fields, which were up up on the hill. And there were these foot pumps in Egypt. You can archaeologically Google me. You'll see I'm telling the truth. And they would pump, and they would give just a little bit of water to the plants. And they would, by very difficult work, by footwork, they would get some produce. But over in Canaan, the promised land, The land flowed with milk and honey. They got away from the pump. They got into the flow, and it was just easier. But in both cases, God is reminding them that there's multiple ways he'll provide. He'll provide. And there might be a season in your life right now where you want some fruitfulness, but what the reality is is the way God's going to work is by your own hand. It's not going to be through somebody else. It's not going to be some miraculous intervention, but through your own effort, and when that happens, it's still the Lord. Sometimes God won't do for you the things he's called you to do for yourself. Like, God isn't going to come down and make my wife and I treat each other honorably all the time. That's not how that's going to happen. God's going to put on my heart the desire to do it. He's going to put on her heart the desire to do it. And then guess who's going to have to do it? She is. <laughs> that's how that's going to work. And, of course, me too. Right? Right? When I, when, I wanna, when I was in, in college and then in grad school, when, when I wanted to learn the stuff, guess who had to learn the stuff? I'd pray. Oh, God, this Greek language is of the devil. I know you chose to write the New Testament, but I don't understand. Why didn't you do it in good old English, you know? That's the way I'd pray a little bit. But you know who had to do the work to get that in? I did. And I'd make that investment. Guess what would happen? I would actually do better. When I didn't, it was harder. Sometimes God works through your own hand. There's something powerful in finding your purpose and getting to work in your purpose. In fact, two marks of spiritual growth. I found my purpose and I'm working in my purpose. I'm doing the things God's put on me. And when I do them, I see fruitfulness. I see God show up. So God works through the hand of men. He works through the hand of God. He works through your own hand. And number four, this one might surprise you a little bit. God will even work through the hand of your enemy. And I know we're not supposed to have enemies, right? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus often, in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, talked about the enemies. Love your enemies. So I don't know who Jesus was referring to, but evidently Jesus' followers in the New Testament had people who didn't get along. Sometimes God will work even through the relational goofiness that happens in people's lives. God will work through the hand of your enemy. Did you understand that sometimes an attack on your life can actually make you more determined and not necessarily discouraged? You can actually get more determined when you're under attack, when there's relational stuff. Jill and I had a kid, we had a second kid, and we had a third kid, and life was over. That's, that's the truth. We were outnumbered, it was hard. Uh you know, we went into zone defense. It was no longer one-on-one. You take one, I'll take the other. I always tried to take the one that wasn't crying is how it had been. Now we'd have like maybe two crying kids and a third. Who... It was just hard work. We had to double down. And rather than get discouraged, we had to figure out and get determined that this thing that we're doing, parenting together, is going to get real incredible effort for us. And so the stress of that thing caused us to grow up as people. Fast forward several years. Now we got four kids. Uh, we got two dogs. We're not smart. That's all I'm gonna say about that. And 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 we got complicated lives. She's got a career. I got a career. I got things I want to do. And and the stress of all that forces us to evaluate what's more important, what our priorities are. Yeah. Even difficult things that happen in your life. Uh, look at Numbers chapter 14. Don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people in the land. We will devour them like bread. They have no protection. And the Lord is with us, so don't be afraid of them. Here's what's going on. The children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, and God sends 12 spies in. Ten of the spies come back, and they say, we can't take this land. There are giants in the land. But two of the spies say what we just read here. Oh, if God wants it for us, we'll do it. In fact, <laughs> those giants over there, we're gonna, they're going to be our bread. Like, like We're going to eat them alive. We're going to go after it. And the challenges in front scared 10 people away, but two said, we're going to go on and do the thing. Sometimes in your life, God will use the very challenges you're going through to be an operating agency of his hand to bring fruitfulness to you. It was several years ago, but I went through an ugly relational dynamic uh, with some folks. And I was frustrated and stressed out, wasn't sure what I was going to do, ready to throw in the towel on several things that are important to me just a really, really rough situation. I thought God had forgotten me. People didn't love me. You know, my dog wouldn't even look at me right. That's kind of the way I felt. It was just a rough, you know, your dog, you know, you know why people buy dogs, don't you? They tend to always like you. That's why, right? It's not that they're awesome animals. They they stink. They smell. You're spending a lot of money. But when you come in the door, they're like they're like glad to see you, even when your wife isn't like The dog is glad to see you. So I I felt horrible about everything going on. That was then. Fast forward several months. Several months into the thing, here's what I discovered about the challenge that I went through. It forced me to get clarity on what's important. It forced me to think about what I really care about, what role people would have in my life, what I would give myself to, who I'd allow to define success for me. It forced conversations with other people that brought clarity and meaning to my life. In one sense, I felt like I should call up these couple of folks, take them out to uh, steak dinner, um, you know, finest restaurant in Cincinnati because of the benefit that had come in my life when they meant to do me harm and God used it for my good. God will work through the hand of your enemy to bring fruitfulness into your life. Now, one common thread in all of this, there's seed being sown all along. There's spiritual investment being made. All along, There are seeds of righteousness. It's back to Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. The person will reap what he sows. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap spiritual stuff. If you sow to the flesh or to corruption, you're going to reap death in the flesh. The thing behind every one of these movements is that the seed is sown, and it begs the question for us, see, 14 years in. If you're our guest, take just two minutes and let me have a conversation with my family here. We're 14 years in. I'm thinking it might be time to plow up some of the fallow ground that's not been touched in a while. Jill and I have some people that we want to see God at work in their lives, and we've sown some seed, but it's been a while. I think that this big day, this food truck rally, gives us an opportunity to sow seed in a fresh way. We, we have some extended family that there's just some weirdness with. Anybody else have a family dynamic like that anywhere? Just me? Okay, fine, good. Um, I'll, I'll be the only one. I don't care. It's all good. And, and I'm wondering if, if, if some spiritual seed sown there might produce some spiritual results. I don't know how God will do it. Maybe he'll do it through my hand. Maybe he'll supernaturally show up. <laughs> maybe. maybe he'll do it through the hand of somebody else. I've seen that happen. Maybe even in the ugly, maybe that's how he'll mechanically show up. But I know this: the common thread is, is there's going to have to be some investment made. That's the way it works. There's going to have to be some investment made. I wonder where God might like to use your spiritual investment and how he might show up and work his hand in your life if you do it. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, our last passage. Here's what it says. And God is able to bless you abundantly. That's what I'm talking about, the hand of God at work. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in, count these with me, in all things, that's the first all, one. In all things, at all times, two. Having all that you need, that's three alls. So at all things, at all times, and all that you need, that's what we call the blessed life. That's the hand of God at work in your life. You'll abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way. In the the Greek language, those three all's just got repeated here with the word every, in all ways so that... You can be generous on every, on all occasion. As through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving for God. What that passage isn't telling us is that no seed you sow spiritually will ever be wasted. God will bring increase and he'll bring an abundant return on your harvest. So who do you need to sow seed in? Is it yourself? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? One practical way to do that is to get them here next week. Another way to do it is to love them. Another way to do it is to pray for them. Sometimes financially bless people. That's another way to do it. But who do you need to so seed in because you want to see the hand of God at work in their lives? One more story told years ago as a kid. I'll never forget it. Stories story is told of a lady who was um, on her way to an important meeting and she had locked her keys in her car and she stood outside her car in an area of town that wasn't all that desirable and just prayed, God, I've got to make this meeting my. I think my career depends on it. I got to go. And she's praying and asking God. And all of a sudden, you know, this is pre-cell phone days and all that stuff. All of a sudden, a guy comes around on a motorcycle. And he's got the classic look. It's the Harley. He's got the skull, the crossbones. Looks like he's straight from Hell's Angels. And he pulls up and she's a little whatever. And he's like, lady. Like, what's going on? And she's like, well, I, my, my car, the door's locked. I got to make this meeting. And so he gets off his bike and somehow pulls out a coat hanger and goes over to the car and does his thing. In about 30 seconds, has the door open. And this lady, just in gratitude, throws up her hands and her eyes to the Lord and says, Lord, you know, thank you for sending a good man to help me. And the guy stops. and says, oh, I'm not a good man. In fact, I'm on Parole. I'm on parole. She said, What are you on parole for? And he says, Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) And she said, Lord, thank you for sending somebody to help me and not just anybody. You sent me a professional. (laughs) So here's what I want to say to you God will send you what you need in your life. You're probably going to have to plant some seed. And if it's been a while, if you've got some fallow ground, it's probably time to plant again. It probably is. See what God will do with that. Why don't you grab out your Connect card, if you don't mind. If you're a guest, everybody's pulling it out because we're going to take those steps I was talking about right now. Next step A for us every week is today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you don't yet have a relationship with the God who will work in your life, who will make all things for your good, you can do what the Bible says and admit that you're a sinner You cannot save yourself and trust the work that Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection to secure your relationship to your heavenly father. In a minute, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to pray and do some business with God, but I'd love you to take your pen and just check next step A. Perhaps your step today is next step B, is you want to get baptized, and the way you start that process here is you just check next step B, all right? And when you do that and you put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of service, we'll communicate with you this week and answer your questions and get you signed up to be baptized. Or Next step C says, connect me with small group number. Now, here's what you do. You simply take the number in life at 4C of the small group you want to be a part of. You write it in the blank next to next step C, circle it nice and big, make sure it's clear, and then you're in. That's how that works. Um, You can also use the engage part of your 4C connect card. And on the back of your message notes, each number is explained with what it is. And today, for example, small group is number one. So if you check number one, you'll get a link to every one of the small groups and you can sign up that way. So we try to make it as easy as possible for you. All right. Next step D, here's what it says. It says, pray with me and I will. I'll pray. If you ta- I'll pray with you. Pray with me for deep impact to the spiritual investment I want to make in the lives of people I love. So if you're going to take what we've said and make an investment in people, I want to pray with you. Just check the box. And if you're inviting folks this week to come to the food truck rally, I want to pray with you. When you leave today, you're going to get four or five invite cards that you can use to share with folks. You'd have no idea what happens spiritually, potentially, in the life of a person when you say, come with me to church and have lunch with me. We're having a food truck rally. And maybe God will speak to them in some way in the service. It might be your investment in them. It might be what happens here through the hand of another person. Who knows? The Holy Spirit might be here in our worship time and impress their hearts himself. It might be the miraculous hand of God. Who knows how God will show up, but your investment will be what matters. And if you're going to do that, I want to pray with you about it. Next step E says, I'll spiritually invest by inviting at least two people to come with me to the food truck rally. So don't listen, don't check it if you're not serious, but if you check it, we'll send you an email reminder. And we'll try our best to fill up the seats here with people who aren't yet connected to a church that they're enjoying. They don't have a spiritual family around them. And we'll see God work in their lives. Now, if you call this church home, this is now your opportunity to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. If you're our guests today, you're welcome to participate, but we don't need anything from you. Your investment into this place today is maybe a step that you'll take. All right? But if you call this church home, it's your time to invest. Every week I try to share with you a simple story of some way that God has worked through your financial giving to bless other people but today I have a slightly different encouragement for you. I want to tell you something that when I say it if you're a wounded person you're not going to trust me. If you're emotionally and spiritually healthy this will probably land in a better place. Here's what I was taught as a kid and I believe it more now than I ever did. You can't outgive God. You can't can't outgive God. So when I invest spiritually, whatever I invest, he's going to multiply. When I invest financially in the work of God and the kingdom of God, whatever I give, he's going to invest or he's going to multiply. I can't outgive God. Around here there are people in this room who know that, they're living it. It's not that they have an abundance of money, but they give to God a portion of what God's blessed them with, and they give it here, and as a result of that, lives are literally changed. But their lives are blessed as well. I don't understand how it all works, but I know it's true. You can't outgive God. Let's pray about our next steps and our offering, and then we'll worship through one more song. And then this week, go out and invite your friends. All right? Would you bow with me right now? Father, I want to thank you that you work in life to accomplish your plan. Sometimes through the hand of man, sometimes through your divine hand, sometimes through our hands, sometimes even through the hand of our enemies. You're not limited by how you can work in our lives. God, the truth is, is on the hearts of a lot of people in this room is that you would work in the minds, in the hearts, in the lives of people we love. I pray, God, that over the next few weeks, we would see a season in this church of your hand at work, moving other people, moving us, moving enemies where there's awkwardness. God, we ask, that this week there'd be invitations to people, our friends, our family, our neighbors. Maybe people we've invited before but it's been a while. Maybe it's fallow ground. We asked that there would be invitations and people would come. And when they come on this campus, they'd experience your love. Your Holy Spirit would show up. There'd be a connection relationally. The truth of God's word would speak to their hearts. I pray, Father, you would take our spiritual investments this week, our prayer, our acts of serving, our invites, and you would multiply it for your good purpose. God, would you take our offering today and would you multiply it for your purpose? Would you take our next steps that we're taking today and when you multiply them and help us to go farther than we could ever go on our own? Thank you for 14 years of you being faithful even when we have not been. We give you glory. We acknowledge that it is your hand at work, the good hand of God, is upon us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen and amen.